0: Welcome back to The Dirt Show. First, apology to those who try to watch The Dirt Show live yesterday. There was a glitch. You know, technology, I don't know anything about technology, as many of you have written to me concerning TikTok. We'll talk about that um, in a minute, but it was an interesting show about TikTok, and everybody who missed it can watch it now. Uh, All you have to do is, you know, access it through Rumble YouTube, yesterday's show, and You can watch that. You can't watch it live unless we can turn the clock back. But it makes no difference. It makes no difference. Um, But um, today we're going to talk about uh, something else. Um, Today, we're going to talk about the fact that the grand jury or the prosecutor has now announced that the grand jury will postpone any further consideration of the possible Donald Trump indictment for at least a month. We're talking now about the end of April. Um, I thought maybe it would come down on April Fool's Day, appropriate time, but it's not going to come down if it comes down at all until April, you know, is the old expression, justice delayed, is justice denied. And, you know, there is a kind of drip, drip, drip quality to this whole episode. But um, I got back from Florida today. I went right to my New York lawyer's office, by the way, those of you who are connoisseurs of my walls, and uh, we'll see I'm now in a different place. This is my New York office Uh, uh, until now for the last few months. I have been um, broadcasting from my Florida office, uh, different. We have John Dillinger on the wall in Florida, and we have uh, Franz Kafka on the wall here, as my grandmother would say. Wahavdil, it's a Yiddish term for what a difference between Kafka and Dillinger. In any event, I'm I'm, I'm back here. And when I went to my lawyer's office, I met with a couple of former judges, some former prosecutors, and some lawyers who practice in the courthouse uh, in which the alleged indictment uh, is being considered and would come down. And so I asked them all, the delay, is it just routine? Not a single one of them thought it was routine. Different people had different theories. And I'll lay them out, and I'll give you my theory. So um, some of the people said, look, Bragg's in over his head. He announced that there was this grand jury. Uh, We know that the grand jury focused on Trump because of the witnesses who were called. Uh, We know about Costello. We know about some of the other witnesses. man from the national review the financial chief of the trump corporation we know the witnesses so we know there's an investigation of donald trump and he may be over his head now Uh, he may have some hesitation wish he hadn't started it but he's starting it so he's moving he's moving slowly that's one theory another theory is that there's a revolt among his staff and his staff are, many of them, wonderful young lawyers. Some of the people I talked to today were assistant district attorneys in New York City. And so they know the process very well. And they know that the chief elected DA, who's the head of the office, confers, obviously, with his appointed civil service, young, great lawyers. It's, you know, These are hard jobs to get to be in the District Attorney's Office of Manhattan, the legendary District Attorney's Office of Manhattan, which used to house the likes of Robert Morgenthau and Frank Hogan. And so there were young people in the office who are worried, uh, worried that they're going to be seen as part of an office that disgraced the predecessors that held that office, that they tried to manufacture a case out of whole cloth. And uh, I never understood the meaning of that, but it's an expression manufactured out of whole cloth means made up out of nothing and that they don't want to be associated with uh, the abuse of process that would be inherent in targeting Donald Trump based on a campaign pledge and then finding nothing and having to make up a, a charge. You know, again, it was Robert Jackson and others. I quoted some of them yesterday. That said, any prosecutor who really targets somebody can rummage through the statute books and find something to pin on anybody. Well, in this case, it's worse than that. They rummaged through the statute books. Both the attorney general and the district attorney promised, pledged, campaigned on getting Trump. They rummaged through the statute books and they found nothing. They they couldn't pin anything on him based on the statute. So what they had to do is create a crime out of nothing. Uh, they created a new crime that is making a false entry into corporate records in order to protect a non-disclosure agreement. Never before in history is that done. Nobody ever expects somebody who has paid money hundred thirty thousand dollars for a non-disclosure agreement. then to disclose it on a corporate form, of course you're going to do something to disguise the real purpose and you come as close as possible to the purpose and legal legal expenses. They were legal expenses. They were the settlement of a case which Snowy Daniels could have brought. And by the way, she threatened to bring it on the eve of the election, which is why it happened so close to the election. Uh, if it had happened a year earlier, there probably would have been a non-disclosure agreement then. In fact, there was discussion about that earlier, but they couldn't couldn't exactly come to, to terms. So, you know, they made up a they made a misdemeanor and then they turned the misdemeanor into a felony. And I think there are, I have to believe that some of my former students or some other students who went to great law schools you know, all over the country who serve in that office are saying to their boss, not on my watch. I, I don't want to be associated with uh, finding, you know, give me the man and I'll find you the crime. They don't want to be associated with that Stalin esque um, approach to law enforcement or the Central American dictator who said, For my friends, everything for my enemies, the law. No. <clears throat> and one of the theories is that the young people are revolting and threatening to quit. We know that two zealous prosecutors did quit initially when Bragg refused to bring this case or other related uh, cases. And so why do we think that others in the office might not quit if the case is broad? It's, it's very tough. It reminds me a little bit of what's going on in Israel where members of the cabinet threatening to quit. If Netanyahu does it, other members of the cabinet threatening to quit. If Netanyahu doesn't do it, and, you know, threatening to quit is something that can bring down a government and can expose a district attorney's office to ridicule and to Uh, uh, being censured. Um, So that's one theory. My favorite theory, wishful thinking, and I always hate to confuse wishful thinking with prediction. So I'm going to put this overtly in the category of wishful thinking rather than a prediction. I think it's probably wrong as a prediction, but 100% right as wishful thinking. And that is there are grand jurors who look at the Fifth Amendment and they say, you know, The function of a grand jury is not to do the bidding of the prosecutor. It's to protect and defend the rights of potential defendants, to make sure that the prosecutor cannot bring a case unless it gets past the scrutiny of honest grand jurors who have no political stake in this case and who just want to see justice done based on the law and the fact. And if there are a couple of those, and remember that when Costello wasn't asked to testify by the prosecution, they were trying to hide his exculpatory testimony as they hid his um, emails. Uh, Costello came forward and insisted on speaking to the grand jury. And then at least one grand juror had to say, we want to hear him. And that's how Costello got to testify. A Grand juror said, we want to hear him. I want to hear him at least, maybe we. And so there may be more grand jurors who are saying, you can't make this case based on Michael Cohen. Michael Cohen told his lawyers he did this alone. Donald Trump wasn't involved. He told the federal education, the election people, he told um, the federal government, he told everybody that he did this on his own to protect Donald Trump's family and to protect His wife from learning about the accusation, Um, and he told his lawyer he would do anything, anything to avoid going to prison. He would lie. Obviously, he's lied. Um, He didn't avoid prison, but he got a much lower prison term that he might have otherwise gotten. And so the grand jurors might be saying, look, we're we're not going to vote an indictment based on the testimony of Michael Cohen. You've got to give us more. So call back Pecker, the head of the National Enquirer. Call back the head of the financial part of Trump. Let's hear them again. Call any other witnesses that you think can make this case. Call Stormy Daniels. Call Stormy Daniels' lawyer. uh, Whoever you think can make this case. And um, let's see if we can... Bring ourselves to vote for an indictment without Cohen, without Cohen. So that's another possibility that um, the grand jurors are potentially revolting. Now, that would be precedent setting because we all know, you know, it's interesting. Judge Wachla was a wonderful man. I knew him. I I argued in front of him uh, numerous times. I think I won all of my cases in front of him. Maybe that's why I like him. But I like him. And he will go down in history for one thing. He invented the term, a prosecutor can get a grand jury to indict a ham sandwich. My mother didn't like it. She was, it was a chicken sandwich, but it's a ham sandwich. Um, but maybe this grand jury is going to tell the world, and maybe they're telling the prosecutor discreetly behind the closed doors. No, no, you can't get this grand jury to indict a ham sandwich. You can't get this grand jury to indict a presidential candidate against whom you have not been able to find a real crime based on these fake crimes. One and one equal 11. Actually, it's zero plus zero equal 11, or at worst, one plus zero equal 11. Even the arithmetic doesn't work. So it's possible that we may see some precedent broken. And finally, a grand jury reading the Fifth Amendment and saying, we want to do what our job really is. We want to scrutinize the prosecution's case and make sure there is a basis, there's probable cause to conclude that this is a triable and winnable case. The next alternative, which is close to this one, is that Mr. Bragg himself was looking himself in the mirror and saying, you know, this bar card I worked so hard to get, going to law school and finally getting elected to this great job, I just don't want to lose it. Um, And there is a concern here. If I put Cohen on the witness stand, I'm risking some serious ethical violations. The law is very clear. The ethics are very clear. A Prosecutor may not call a witness who he does not believe will tell the truth. And I don't know how anyone can look themselves in the eye and say, I am convinced that Michael Cohen will tell the truth. I have to tell you as a defense lawyer, I have more flexibility than a prosecutor. I can call witnesses who may be telling the truth. My criteria is lower than a prosecutor's. I would not call Michael Cohen. Even if my defendant said you have to call Michael Cohen, I would say no, not, not, not on my watch. Uh, get another lawyer. But I'm not telling this jury and this judge that I believe Michael Cohen, even though Michael Cohen can help you get an acquittal, I can't do it, I can't do it. And on a couple of occasions in my career I have refused to call witnesses. In One case, I can't get into much detail about it, but where my client wanted to make a deal to testify against the mayor of the city that he lived in, and the deal would have been a good one, and he had a very plausible case that he had bribed the mayor. He had taken money out of his safe deposit box on a day when he was with the mayor. It was a circumstantial case. Most lawyers would have allowed that. My colleague, Harvey Silverglake, and I thought about it, consulted a lot of people, and we broke the bad news to our client. We're not doing it. Um, We're not allowing you to get on the witness stand and incriminate this mayor based on the information you've given us, it's just not good enough. And in the end, we won the case and he didn't go to jail, but we might not have. Um, I may have a higher standard of, of ethics than, than some, but I also have a higher standard of ethics as a defense lawyer to put on the best possible case I can, but I, I, I just couldn't put this, this potential defendant who faced five years in jail, I could not put him on the witness stand to testify against a mayor who had a bad reputation. Uh, and it was plausible, he might've taken the bribe, but in the end, my co-counsel and I did not believe my client. And so we didn't put him on the stand. My client was a little unhappy about that. We ended up winning the case for him, so he became, he became happy, but it might've gone the other way. And so that's another alternative theory. Uh, I can tell you the one alternative theory that nobody in my group came up with that is this is just a routine uh, delay because there are other cases and, and, and we're just putting it off a month. Uh, don't, don't, don't read anything into it. No, read something into it. There's something to be read into. We don't know exactly what it is. And I've given you four or five uh, scenarios. Um, probably the least likely is that there's a grand jury revolt. That's the one I would hope would be the most likely. But as a predictor, I predict that's probably the least likely. Remember, all you need is 12 out of 23 to indict. So even if there were two, three, four, five, I'm not sure we'd ever know that if the grand jury indicts. You know, I should know this and I don't. Whether in New York you get to know what the vote of the grand jury is. In some states you do, in some states you don't. All you know is that a majority of grand jurors voted to indict. Um, It would be interesting to find out, say, if there was a vote of 15 to 3, to, 8, to 15 to 8 or something like that, or 18 to 6 or whatever the numbers are. I'm not focusing on the numbers. Uh, it would be interesting to know if it was a divided vote, if it was a unanimous vote, but I'm not sure we're ever going to find that out. I think all we can be confident of is something is rotten in the state of the district attorney's office in that building. Something is unusual. Either the grand jurors are having a problem, staff members of the prosecutor are having a problem, prosecutor is having a problem, the prosecutor's ethics advisor is having a problem. And by the way, they all should be having a problem. There is a problem here. You do not indict somebody on the basis of this case. Remember, they labored hard to try to find a crime and they produced a mouse named Mickey. It's a Mickey Mouse case. It's not a case at all. It's the worst case I have ever seen if it results in an indictment resulting in an indictment. And I've seen some very bad cases. I know because I've won a lot of them uh, over the years. This is a case which would be unlosable if the defendant's name was not Donald Trump and the city was not New York. It may be unwinnable if the city is New York and the defendant's name is Donald Trump, because lo takir punim, do not recognize faces, as the Bible says, does not apply to Donald Trump. Donald Trump His face is recognized and we live in a system today where faces are not only recognized, but faces, races, genders, identity, politics are the dominant concern more than the evidence. And so we live in a dangerous time. We live in a time which in my mind is reminiscent of McCarthyism. I'm thinking of writing another book. I'm on 52, halfway through 53, this would be 54 about the new McCarthyism which emanates today from from the woke uh, progressive uh, hard left. Uh, oh, there's plenty of McCarthyism on the hard right too. Don't get me wrong, but not 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 as influential as the pardon me as the um, McCarthyism on the hard left. Sorry. all right i apologize for the phone going off i'm back in my new york office so i'm not used to everything in florida i had a routine and the routine involved turning off the phone i have to have a new routine i'm starting on that okay so uh, you've heard the speculation about why the month we're not going to know the answer probably we certainly won't know it until the month is over and it's also possible the case will go away not with a bang but a whimper it'll just go away it's just the district attorney brag will just not ask the grand jury to indict. That would be very unusual. That happens a lot. I've been involved in cases like that. Um, Several, many, I would say, where there's been a grand jury, where there's been an investigation, and years go by and we never hear anything. And finally, the statute of limitations expires, and it's gone. Of course, in New York, statute of limitations never disappears. Um, If you ever leave the state, even for a, a few days at a time, Every one of those days under a very ill-advised New York Court of Appeals opinion, every single one of those days counts uh, against the excluded time under the statute of limitations. So New York Court of Appeals has essentially abolished the statute of limitations, which is statutory and in violation of the separation of powers. But that's an argument for for a different day. And it's an argument that uh, if he is indicted, will be made. That will be the first argument made a violation of the statute of limitations. So let me turn to the letters. A lot of them, a lot of them today, a lot of them about TikTok, but let's just do them in order. First, a very nice letter. I wish our country had more people like Mr. Dershowitz on the left and right. Our country would be so much better for it. I'm not going to comment on that. Uh, Nice. Um, Definitely don't bang TikTok. The removal of freedom of speech and the freedom of the press. Oh, I would say a hundred letters uh, like that. Um, but then letters on the other side, too. The question is when too much is too much for a child to be viewed at these impressionable ages. Hardcore porn is not for kiddies, but they have access to it all day long. We have to figure out a better way to create filters um, where parents can really control what their children see, whether it be pornography, which is awful for for kids to see, or um, um, uh, some aspects of TikTok, which are probably not good to see as well. But that can't result in total and complete uh, censorship. As I said before, the Supreme Court, I think the case was Winter versus New York, uh, said you can't ban adults from reading comic books just because they may not be good for kids. By the way, comic books were great for me. Okay, a story. Um, I was in my first year of college. I may have said the story because I've told it some several times. First year in college, I had this great English professor named uh, Miss Brook. I had been a horrible high school student. I. Made my way into Brooklyn College by the skin of my teeth. I didn't get admitted on my grades because I didn't have good grades. I had to take a test, and I got in. But I was a really, really good college student. And I was already making my mark in this class in English literature. You know, I raised my hand a lot, and I had smart things to say, and the teacher liked me. But the teacher had a teasing name for me. She called me Dearth of Wits. She had nicknames for everybody. She was like Donald Trump that way. Her name was Babby Brooke, and I used to call her behind her back, Babbling Brook." Um, any event, she went around the room. How many of you have read 100 novels? Hands. How many of you have read 50? How many of you have read 20? How many of you have read 10? And then she turns to me and she says, Mr. Dirthowitz, so you haven't put your hand up. Was that because you've read more than 100 novels? And I said, no, I've never read. I've never read a novel. And, and she said, but you seem to know so much about Sir Walter Scott and, and about, you know, so many of the writers. If you've never read a novel how do you know so much? I said, I I read classic comics. As soon as they come out, classic comics were comic books based on Dostoevsky and Shakespeare. And I said, I not only know what Ivanhoe said, I know what he looked like. I know what Hamlet looked like. I know what Raskolnikov looked like. I read my comic books. So don't ever tell me comic books aren't good for kids. Comic books, got me a New York State scholarship. I won a New York State scholarship despite being a C student, because a lot of the questions were literature questions that I answered from my comic book. So you can be educated in a variety of ways. All right, uh, I disagree with the idea of conscription. Remember what I said is, we talked talking about Israel. Uh, nobody should be exempt from the draft. Israel has to have a draft. It's surrounded by enemies. Iran threatens to nuke it to destruction. Hezbollah threatens to destroy it by rockets from the north, Hamas rockets from the south, and um, the various other Palestinian factions in terrorism from across the, the, the Jordan River and from Jordan and from the West Bank. So there needs to be conscription, and the Israeli army is a wonderful army. But Two groups of people are exempt uh, from it, Um, Arabs, um, either Christian or Muslim Arabs, although many volunteer, uh, particularly Bedouins and Druze, but other Arabs volunteer as well as they should. And, uh, you know, they don't want to fight against their brothers. That's the argument. That argument was taken seriously in the Second World War. We didn't send Japanese Americans to fight in the Pacific theater. We sent them to fight in the Atlantic theater and often Germans fought in the Pacific theater. That's understandable. But I strongly believe that every Israeli should serve for two years in, uh, in the military. But it can be doing civilian type work in the military, helping you know, disabled kids or teaching in schools. But you owe service to your country. And I said I would do the same thing in America if we had a draft. I would make sure everybody, when we had a draft, when I was 18 years old, we had to register for the draft. Only boys. Girls didn't have to register the draft unconstitutional, illegal, wrong. Um, so if we had a draft, I would want everybody to have two years of service. If you're a conscientious objector, fine. You don't serve in the military, but you serve in schools, etc. So here's the letter. I disagree with the idea of conscription. It's like a slave to the state or the government. The state should serve you and not the other way around. Also, not everyone has to pledge slavery to the state. Think about the libertarians and freedom lovers. They have not given up their rights anyway. With all the warmongering across the world, let the sons of the rulers and government officials place conscription without exception. They should. Then we can talk about innocent civilians, whether they want to serve the country or not. No. Look, if you're a libertarian, ask yourself the following question. Are you taking advantage of the police department? Yeah. Are you t- taking advantage of the fire department? Yeah. Are you using the roads that the government builds? Yeah. Uh. Well, if you're a real libertarian and you don't think you owe anything to the government, stop using government services. Stop getting benefits from, from the government. If you're a real anarchist, okay, that's that's understandable if you're an anarchist, but you can't just take without giving. That's not true uh, libertarianism. And so, you know, I think I agree with John Kennedy. That's not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Actually... You can do a little of both. You can ask what your country can do for you. And, you know, America has done wonderful, wonderful things for my family. First thing is they let them in. Um, My grandfather came in 1889, and my grandmother came probably about 1900. And on the other side of my family, I think they came in about 1906. Um, My parents were born in the United States, in 1909, 1913. They came over dirt poor. Uh, I think they've contributed enormously to this country, but this country has helped them. It's a good deal. It's a good deal being an American, but it entails giving back. It entails paying taxes, which some crazy libertarians say we're not going to do. Look, you can go back to the old system. In the 1800s, a fire department was private. You had to sign up to pay money to a group of people, and they'll put out the fire. But Then we realized that if a person did not sign up and has a fire, it's going to spread to the person who had signed up. So we made taxes for fire departments mandatory. The same thing is true with crime and other areas. And the same thing should be true with national defense. You know, you can't say, I don't want to go in the army, uh, but I do want to be protected in case Iran tries to invade uh, the United States. You just can't have it both ways. Um, you have to contribute back to this country. I'm a, a, a loyal patriot. Um, uh, I pledge allegiance. I was at an event the other day. I spoke for the Women's National Republican. And I said most of the Pledge of Allegiance. I have a point. I never, ever, ever say the words unto God. Uh, I don't think they are properly in the Pledge of Allegiance. They weren't in the Pledge of Allegiance when I was growing up, where we told said the Pledge of Allegiance every day. I always covered my heart. And I pledged allegiance to the United States, but I don't pledge allegiance to, to God. That's my business. That's my concern. Uh, how I relate to God is not a state matter. And the First Amendment prohibits us from putting under God in the First Amendment, but it's there. So I'm not saying it, that's all, but I'm very patriotic. Um, Alan, you act as though it's impossible for Trump to commit any crimes. Nonsense, if Trump commit crimes, prosecute him to the hell. If he commits crimes that other people are prosecuted for, sure, but don't make up crimes. But then it always gets personal. You're always protecting him, not voting for him. Um, he said in Waco that I don't vote for him. He said maybe he does, but he won't say he does. But he urged everybody to read my book, Get Trump. So I hope you do read Get Trump. And, you know, it's the one thing that President Trump says that I completely agree with. Get, Get Trump. Okay, uh, please make a video letting us know why we should believe your legal theories, despite your receiving undisclosed amounts of money for being Trump's attorney. So let me disclose it. I'm not getting any money. I haven't gotten any money for years since I defended him in front of the Senate um, in January of, of 2000. And there I was paid my hourly fees, actually less than my hourly fees, and I contributed every cent of it to charity. So I didn't make a single penny ever off Donald Trump, and I have no intention of ever making money off Donald Trump. Why do you have to always think everything is done for money? Don't you believe me that I'm a man of principle? Don't you believe me that I do things based on principle? I've done things based on principle my entire life. I don't defend people based on their ideology. I don't defend people based on their wealth. I do half of my cases pro bono. What more can I do to persuade you that I am a principled person? and not an ideologue, and not somebody who does things only for the money. There are some people I'll never persuade, but there are some open-minded people. So I ask you to consider this with an open mind. See you um, next week. I'm sure there'll be a lot of breaking stories uh, between now and next Monday. Bye.